Welcome to the Aurora Cornerstone Podcast. Thank you for tuning in. We hope today's message is an encouragement to you. Would you take your Bibles with me? Just have a few minutes before send you on home or to a restaurant or wherever you're going to go. Galatians chapter 5. Galatians. Turn there with me. Galatians chapter 5. What if each morning when you walked out your door, you knew that you knew you were carrying a miracle key that could release someone from prison another day? If when you walk out your door in the morning, you know you carry a miracle key for someone's release. I want to suggest the series that we've been on is a series of personal journey regarding what it means to be free, but it's so much more than that. It really has to do with living free. Galatians chapter 5, let me start with this scripture. Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. I'm going to read again. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again with the yoke of slavery. Powerful verse, powerful verse. We've already prayed for this, and so uh, I used an illustration. It was We actually put it on the website, and it was... Uh, a number of years ago, I had a privilege of being a spiritual care volunteer working with a chaplain in a high-security maximum prison system. And it was a short-lived period because I actually was just at the point of, of transitioning into another pastoral position. But in that brief period, uh, God just gave favor, and it was an un- I didn't go looking for it, as I said in the clip earlier. As far as I know, I have no family members in jail. Uh, I don't have any grandparents who went to jail that I know of or aunts and uncles that went to jail that I know of. It's not like we've been a part of that system and therefore I just want to really want to help reform it. But the Lord had laid in my heart that uh, I was to ask and I asked and God opened the doors for me to go in. And so I did. And I remember very memorable the first time that I went in. And I'm just going to recount a little bit of that because when I... First time, this is the first time. I went there and you stand at the door and the video camera's at you, facing at you. This is southern Ontario, it's not near here, the maximum security. And the camera's there uh, and you identify yourself. You go through these doors and they close behind you. And then you go through, after some more correspondence, you go through another set of doors, they close behind you. Then you surrender all your like watch and anything on you other than my Bible and notes. I uh, have to sign in, give a lot of information. Then I go through another set of doors and wait for a security guard. Security card, guard eventually comes. I follow the security guard after he briefs me on the protocols of prison. Uh, I follow the security. And I'm, I'm, beyond, I'm scared spitless. I just really am spooked because this is not my wheel well. And so... I, I go down the hall, we come to another set of doors, he opens it with his key, go through, locks behind, turns right, go down, 
to another door, and he opens it with the key. I go in. He locks it behind me. He says, wait here. I'll bring them to you. About 10, 15 minutes pass. Everything's about waiting. 10, 15 minutes pass, and he, he comes in, brings in uh, about 20. Uh, I, the instruction is you don't have any interaction, no physical contact. They come in, and then he locks himself on the outside of the door. This is the most humorous part of it. I didn't hear them tell me that in the briefing, <laughs> that I would be alone with them. And I'm... <gasps> and, and anyway, we had a, a tremendous time together. I still remember it. Still remember what I spoke on. Still remember the response. Still remember uh, open hearts. It was, it was one of the... It was a tremendous moment. When it was done, I was to give him the signal. He's looking through the window... And then he comes in, and then they reverse the whole process, reverse the process. I go back out, everything reverses. I get back into my car. I'm still, my heart's going crazy. If I had, if I had one of those fitness watches, it would be beeping saying I, I should be stopping my workout <laughs> because my heart, I'm sure, was through the roof. I got into the car, drove out the driveway, and it wasn't until I was on the road and they were in my rearview mirror that I began to, my heart began to come down. And here was the thing, even though I was free, and even though I went to them and I still had freedom, I could come and go. And even though when I came out and I was walking through the parking lot and I got in my car, I still never felt free until I was driving down the road. And here's the thing, I've discovered in, in many times in believers' lives that, that we come to the point of asking Jesus to forgive us of our sins that we recognize we need a Savior. We recognize we need rescuing. We recognize that we need to accept that gift of salvation for now and for the future. But many times it's almost like the Lord in so doing opens the door, but we really never go very far. It's, the door's open. We might venture out a little bit and be like going into the first hallway there at the maximum security place. And, but but we, don't, we may not go back in, but we don't go very far. And I want to suggest in this text, in the number of texts, it is for freedom. It is so that you will never be anywhere near those doors again that Christ has set us free. It is that you would live life freely. It's as if you were on that road and you can now enjoy, if you wanted to go here, turn right, turn left. If you wanted to uh, get out and walk through the green grass, you could. You could go into a store. You could do what you wanted to do. You need to live free now. Because you're no longer incarcerated. You're no longer even near the perimeters of the incarceration. You can live free. Easier said than done. Because many times in our, in our lives, we live near the perimeters where God has set us free. I want to read this again. It's for the purpose of freedom. Christ will set you free. It's for the purpose that he created you in the first place. That you, he gives you freedom. Not simply to have a door open and the possibility, but to live out the possibility of what it is to live a redeemed life. That he has set me, I no longer am addicted to those things. I no longer need approval by you. I no longer need to fear these things, even though they might have been in the genealogy. I don't have to fear that, because why? I'm free. Christ has set me free. Because the things that have attachments back to the old life and sin, and the things that we talked here in the waters of baptism, that when we go down and we come back up, we're free in Christ. It's not a moment. It's not simply a door open. It's a life. It's a life of freedom. And the life of freedom is to be experienced by us, but the life of freedom is to also be givers of freedom. I am free 
so that I can go and help you in wherever you are in the journey to freedom. Because you need me and I needed others. And the picture we have of this gospel is one in which we need each other and people need us. The picture we have is we don't live in a perfect world and oh my goodness we know that's true the little journey we've been on I'm concluding a series living free concluding the series and if you've been with the series and you've been following with the workbook uh, we again want to make mention we have a retreat coming up here on November the 9th if you've gone through the workbook either in times past or even right now we want you to come to our one-day retreat because we're going to be specifically identifying areas that maybe still have, we have an attachment to, to this, the old life, that God wants us to be free. He wants us to be free. So those who've gone through the workbook, uh, that retreat, the registration forms are available. Uh, sign up, get the early bird registration. It's going to be right here at Aurora Cornerstone. It's a regional retreat. People are going to be coming in from uh, as far down as Cambridge to Hanover to... Uh, Barry over to Peterborough, and so in, encourage you to be a part of that day on November the 9th. I want to talk, we've, we, a few weeks ago we were sharing about how the keys, remember the keys that I have to be able to turn the lock to grant some help to other people. Started back when to realize God wants to work in partnership with me and with you. Uh, we often, why, why didn't God do that? Why didn't God do that? I think it's a lot more complicated than that. It's not that God doesn't want to. It's not that it's not a part of his desire or will. But he is working in partnership with his church, his body. We're called his body. And so he wants to work with and through me. To be able to take the Isaiah challenge, in Isaiah chapter 6, where he got to that point where he saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. And, and, and then in the middle of that, he heard the father speak. And the father says, well, well, who will I send? And who will go for me? And Isaiah just like piped up, send me, I'll go. And I firmly believe that we miss so many miracle opportunities of freedom and, and extending freedom in people's lives because we don't go into the day pre-committed that when God nudges me, I'm already pre-committed to do something. Because I get into my day, I get hunkered down, and I start to do my stuff, and I will excuse when, I, when, I, when, I, when an opportunity comes. I'll miss it. I'll keep missing opportunities. And so many times, folks, you know, we hear testimonies of what God's doing in people's lives, and others around the, the table say, well, he never does that in my life. I'm going to suggest he probably, he, I know he wants to. I'm going to suggest, though, he's probably trying to, though. We have to learn to tune in to those nudges of the Holy Spirit. Those little nudges, the little promptings, the little things, the little opportunities that come to pick up on it. And if I start my day, personally, if I start my day, and I do, most every day, by saying, God, early in the day, this is early in the day, God, I want you to send me to someone today. I want you to send me to someone. And now I go into my day with faith believing he is going to do it. And I'm looking for it. I'm expecting it. Matter of fact, at the end of the day, I'm disappointed when I roll back the page of the day and I don't see it having happened. God, send me in an opportunity today. I look for it and I'm believing for it, whatever that opportunity is. And that's the story of Isaiah. That's the story of the early church. They went into their days with expectation that God was going before them and was going to flow through them to be miracle keys to people's freedom. 
Last week, we talked of the three miracle keys, two primary ones last week. One is healing. We're going to do more of that at the retreat. But the other was, we called it the money miracle. Because we live in a society that, that money speaks. Money, there's a lot of people struggling in areas financially. And when somebody unselfishly reaches out and blesses them financially with no strings attached, it shakes up their world because that's not natural. Naturally, we are selfish. Naturally, it's about me. So when I help out, and, and I talked last week, have a God pocket. Have a God pocket. Ladies, men, have a God pocket. Figure out where that God pocket is. And put cash into the pocket, not a credit card. Because the moment will come and go within a few minutes. And if you don't have the ability to do something, you will miss the opportunity. And then you'll say, well, it must not have been God. And I'm going to challenge you on that. Because if no other reason, I told you today, you need to have a God pocket. So you can say, oh yeah, see, you told me about that. Opportunities come that you can do something to help someone. Above and beyond what you normally, you know, the ties and offer. To be able to be a blessing when the opportunity comes, somebody's in need, you can just reach out and help them. And it will happen. As you approach the, in, in the manner of God, here am I, send me. I'm looking for a God miracle. I'm engaged. I'm pre-committed. I will not argue with you when the opportunity comes. I will not say, God, I'm really busy. I can't do it now. I'll just, I'll just step into it. And we talked about the nudge, the cue, and the bump last week. Again, you have to get the message if you want to hear it. Today, I want to talk about the last one because it's so huge. And it's about the miracle of forgiveness. Unforgiveness is behind massive issues, both lived out physically, emotionally, and within the church family. And to be able to appreciate that the core of our faith is around the ability to know we've been forgiven, to receive that forgiveness, to extend forgiveness so that we can continue the flow of forgiveness. Forgiveness becomes huge. And again, I mentioned earlier, we live in a world where despite our best efforts, we hurt even those we love. We injure accidentally and on purpose. We are injured accidentally and on purpose. How many times that somebody maybe has hurt you? You were wounded in a situation. And maybe when the opportune time came where you could address it, the person had not the foggiest that they had done that. Or, or that you had hurt someone. And they came to you and they were really upset. And you're going, I can't even remember the incident. Because something triggered, whether intentionally or unintentionally. And there's a wound takes place and unforgiveness flows. And some areas have been through traumatic situations where there has been abuses and therefore there's been the harboring of pain and hurt and unforgiveness. Why forgiveness is such an important uh, issue? Uh, forgiveness is one of the most unnatural responses in all human nature. I'm going to say that again. Un, or sorry, forgiveness. Forgiving somebody else is one of the most unnatural responses in all human nature. I heard somebody say it. It's like lavishing your best gift ever upon a person who just robbed you. It's kind of like it, isn't it? It's like giving them the best gift ever, and they just robbed you. But you have to love them and forgive them. And forgiveness is so tender and so dear to our heart, it fights against our natural inclinations. Imagine with me 
We're on a beach. Warm day, bare feet, on the beach, and you step on a broken piece of glass. It gouges your foot. You limp back to your towel, try not to think about it. You clean up the blood, but you don't want to think about it. And you go back to playing, and you play a bit more soccer on the beach. The next day, in your bare feet, you go out, you have some gardening you need to do, and so you go to your vegetable garden in your bare feet, and, and you work in your vegetable garden for most of the day, and man, it really hurts down there, but you're, you've decided you're going to ignore it. You don't want to think about it. You continue ignoring it, and the wound becomes infected, begins to swell. You go to bed that night, and you're on and off, fever, back and forth, on and off. You get up the next morning. It's not just in the foot. It's now up the leg. It's up the side. You feel it up part of your back, but you're trying to ignore it. Now, that's a silly illustration. We know that what happens is when you wound yourself, you need to treat the injury. You need to, first of all, get out what dirt and infection is in there. And then you need to treat it with whatever antibiotics in order to treat, to try to get the stuff out you can't see, you can't detect, and to give it a jump start so that because our bodies are naturally made to heal themselves. But they cannot heal themselves if there's infection. Now you see how this rolls into forgiveness and unforgiveness. When there has been something done, when we've received a wound in the heart, but we want to ignore it. It's like ignoring that foot that had the gash. And after a while, it just gets worse and worse and worse. But we're going to ignore it. But what happens is it begins to affect everything in you. It begins to affect the people around you. Similar incidents begin to take place. And somebody with a different intent does something. And now you're angry at them based on something over here because you've not let it go. And it infects. It grows. It continues to contaminate. you got to go back. Again, we were made to find healing and walk in healing, but you can only have healing if you treat the wound. Forgiveness is treating the wounds. God has given us the ability to do that. And in Matthew chapter 6, verse 12, Jesus, when he spoke of praying, he said, Father, here's how we're to pray. He says, Father, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. He put condition on that. Forgive us in like manner as we're forgiving then he said two verses later, speaking to the disciples, he said, if you forgive people their trespasses, your heavenly Father will forgive you. But if you refuse to forgive them their trespass, your Father cannot forgive you. It's not that he's holding out. It's that you are infected and forgiveness won't take in you. Healing cannot be complete if we can't offer forgiveness. I understand why Peter tried to narrow it down, saying, well, God, how many times are we supposed to do this? Because this is very unnatural. This is hard. Like seven times, because seven was the good number, you know? Seven times, and Jesus says, listen, seven times 70, 490. He wasn't into the details of the numbers. It was like, and that's every day. In other words, every time there's a wound, treat it. Every time you're wounded, treat it. And here's what happens. The more you treat it, the more you keep short accounts on those and get them treated and get healed, you'll discover you're exercising forgiveness muscles. You ever been around people who just, you know, it's hard to say anything because you're always offending them. You've got to exercise some forgiveness muscles so that they can walk in forgiveness and they can walk having said, I am free, I do not own that. Forgiveness muscles. As you forgive, your Heavenly Father will forgive you. One of the hardest things 
when it comes to forgiveness, I've discovered the hardest person to forgive is me. I'm hardest on myself. Why did I do that? Why did I allow that to happen? How did I invite that? Why do I keep doing it? The hardest person to forgive is often me. And that hinders my ability to forgive you and hinders my ability to forgive God and to know I've been forgiven. I want you to watch this video clip. It's just a few minutes long of a lady who shares a little of her story of what it means to walk through forgiving herself. Let's watch this. I went to um, a New Year's Eve party. I went to just go help set up. Well, helping set up turned into a drink. And then I had two drinks, and then I couldn't drive. And um, so the night progresses, and eventually I pass out. And the next time I woke up, there was a person on top of me. I fought as hard as I could. And I remember in my mind screaming, no, but I actually don't know if I said it. And in my mind, I was fighting so hard, you know, screaming and screaming, and there was nothing I could do. And then he just got up and left when he was done. I didn't even know what to do. So I called my best friend. I told her what had happened. She told me I had to call my parents. I had to get home. And I remember just being, just feeling the most helpless feeling of, of not having any idea what the consequences of what just happened were going to be. I felt, I think I felt as violated as I possibly could. And I kept saying, I remember I kept saying, he didn't really hurt me. He didn't really hurt me. You know, I didn't really consider myself having been raped. I just knew whatever had happened was horrible. I just, I didn't know how to cope. So um, I just kind of accepted that it, would ha that it had happened and um, put it in a corner and never thought about it or dealt with it again for a long time. About a year, a little over a year later, uh, I got married uh, to a wonderful man. And um, all of a sudden, I found myself in a very different situation. <laughs> and I was all of a sudden in this relationship that was supposed to be intimate and was supposed to be sexual and was supposed to be loving. And um, it just brought back this flood of emotions and feelings I had never dealt with about what had happened that night or my past in general. I started becoming this person that was so not me. I became really, really reclusive. And I haven't thought or dealt with that night for over a year. And so I don't even know what's going on. I don't even know why, you know, my mind is freaking out and my heart is freaking out. I just had no idea the consequences that night would have on my life. I just had no concept of what would happen. I had no idea that I would feel like my husband raped me every night.
I just, I had no idea. So it began this very, very painful process. It was a good process. I had to start talking about things and I had to start feeling things. Little by little, it began to get better. And the more we talked, and forgiving the guy was never really that hard for me, actually. Forgiving myself was the whole problem. Forgiving myself was the hard part. Because in the back of my mind, I just, those things kept popping up. The, okay, well, I'm dealing with this, and it's done now. And in the back of my head, I just kept hearing this little voice. But you were drunk again. You're a binge drinker. You were drunk again. You, you were there. You chose to be there. You know, these things just would not go away. I was so sick of hearing it, I just decided, okay, so what? So it was my fault. It was my fault. There we go. What are we going to do now? And I just decided, you know what, Lord, I am so sick of hearing this in the back of my head. Will you forgive me for drinking too much that night? Will you forgive me for not making the right choices? And then it was just like, literally, it was instantaneous. This just, I was free. I had to look at Christ and what Christ had done on his cross and the burden he had bore for me and realize that my pain was not bigger than that and realized that what had happened to me and my tragedy wasn't bigger than his tragedy. Um, Christ and his death and his resurrection and that cross were bigger than anything I could ever do in my life, were bigger than anything I could ever feel in my life, and were bigger than, than any tragedy that could have ever happened to me or ever will happen to me. And I began to change my thinking and realize that it wasn't all about me. <laughs> and it wasn't all about my pain. And it wasn't all about what had happened to me. What it was actually about was him and what he had done then and what he was doing every single day. And I just began to choose to think that. And I remember deciding something. I remember thinking about my heart and remembering how broken and hurt and wounded and scarred this world has made my heart. And then I remember thinking, no, that's not what he sees. He doesn't look at me and see this wounded, broken, scarred thing. He doesn't look at me and see a hard heart that I used to have. He doesn't look at me and see this black hole. He looks at me and he sees a lion. He sees the heart of a lion. He looks at me and he sees the glorified Christ. And from then on, my story wasn't even mine anymore. My story wasn't about a tragedy, it was about a victory. It wasn't even my victory, it was his. It hasn't been my life anymore. It's been his. And I honestly don't think there's anything greater.
ask you if you bow your heads, worship team. Just as your heads are bowed, if you're here this morning, we've had water baptisms speaking of a life living for Christ. If you're here this morning and you need God's forgiveness, you've not received that forgiveness yourself. It's a free gift. You don't have to earn it, but you do have to receive it. If you're here this morning, just as the heads are bowed and the eyes are closed, just so we can respect the moment, if you're here this morning and you need to invite Jesus to be your Lord and Savior, you're saying, I want to receive that forgiveness. I want to confess my sins to the Lord and receive that forgiveness of my sin. Then I would like to pray with you, give you some literature. If that is you here this morning, I'm going to invite you. If you want me to pray, to lead you in that prayer, I can invite you to quickly just lift your hand and say, Pastor, pray for me. I want to receive Christ's forgiveness. If you've not done that, I just want to give this opportunity that you would have the opportunity to do that this day. Is there anybody, just very quickly, is there anybody who's making that decision this morning saying, I want to be a Christ follower today. I want to walk with my sins forgiven. Thank you. Thank you, ma'am. Anyone else? Thank you. Thank you, sir. Anyone else? Yes, thank you. Everybody, would you pray this prayer together? Father in heaven, this morning, I receive your love. I receive that free gift of salvation. I recognize I am a sinner. And I need you. I need your forgiveness. That free gift of life. And so I ask you, forgive me of my sins. Wash my sins away. Forgive me of those things I've done. That God, I would be called a child of you. I embrace you as my God. I embrace Jesus Christ as my Lord. This morning, I confess Jesus Christ is Lord. I thank you for so great a gift of love and for having saved me. In Jesus' name, amen. Father, I pray that, Lord, now as we embrace the depth of that forgiveness, that maybe there are those here this morning, after listening to these words, there's things in our heart that we have not let go. There's things that have gripped us, maybe not as dramatic, or maybe it's even more dramatic than what we just saw in this lady's presentation. But God, it's time. You've brought us here because it's time to find forgiveness. It's time to treat the wound. It's time to live free. And so, Lord, grant us the courage to say yes and to not ignore it, to not pretend, because God, we know by ignoring it, it just grows into anger and hatred and bitterness, and and it consumes us. So, God, no more. Today is the day of freedom. We thank you in Jesus' name. 
the worship team's going to just continue to play. But I want to give an invitation. If you are here and you something came to your mind this morning that you know you're still harboring, it's still an infected wound. It's still an infected wound. Then I'm going to invite my ministry team to come and they're going to be available, invite you to come and just let them pray with you. Identify what it is that's the open wound and allow them to begin to pray forgiveness and freedom. We don't want you leaving these doors with that infection still in place. We're believing God has the power. We have to drain that and receive it and walk in it. We want to believe that together. Invite you to join in standing. I'm just going to pray a prayer of benediction. I'm going to invite ministry team. Would you come on up? Just come on along the front. Ministry team who are here, come on up. And if you need prayer, come on up. Uh, but we just want to bless you as you go. The Lord be with you. Father, thank you for the celebrations we've had today. Thank you for the new life that you have offered. God, we thank you for the thanks to the children, for food. We thank you for family. We thank you for all the big things and the little things because we know from you, blessings flow. Now, God, as we go out, help us to be miracle-working men and women impacting other lives for your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said amen. If you want prayer, come on up. We'd be glad to pray with you. Thanks for listening to the Aurora Cornerstone podcast. Remember to subscribe. For more information about our church and our ministries, visit auroracornerstone.ca.